0: Hi, I'm Ashley Mielink, and welcome to our podcast series, Catechism and Sacraments. Today's episode is going to continue last week's episode on our thoughts on question and answer number three from the New City Catechism. Again, on this panel, we have Kathy Davis, Andrew Morton, and Aaron Klein. So the third question in the New City Catechism is, how many persons are there in God? And again, the answer given is there are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and in glory. The Bible passage that this question and answer is based off of is 2 Corinthians 13:14, which says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's go ahead and jump back into last week's conversation. So, again, I didn't grow up with a catechism. I didn't learn any of this as a child. Um, I was exposed to it, I think, in college a little bit, and then obviously once I came to WEPC. And when I read this specific question and the verse that went with it, I sat there thinking, "How, how did we get Trinity... Out of this verse. So again, the verse is 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and it just says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. For all I know, historically, that could be something that was decently common to say. I mean, so as somebody who, who wasn't raised with this, how do we, how do we base this question and answer off of this specific Bible passage? How did we get this concept out of verses like this? And Kathy, we're going to start with you.
1: So, yeah, you know, like I said earlier, Jesus also makes mention of Mm. Trinitarian ideas. So, Mm -hmm. Great Commission, but also in that great prayer that we have in the Book of John, John four through fourteen through seventeen, just before he goes to the cross. I mean, he's talking about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the way that they're going to interact with each other, but also the way they're going to interact with us. It's not propositional doctrine, right? Again, this is nobody sitting down and saying, this is God, and this is everything about God the Father, and this is everything about the God the Son, but it's this very relational thing
2: mm-hmm. that
1: comes out of it, and also 2 Corinthians 13-14, um, like you said, right? Just, it's this sort of, it's here, right? <laughs> we, this is This is part of who we are, and, you know, I think the most interesting thing, and Aaron and Andrew, I know we're going to touch on this too, is this, it's it's less about figuring it out and laying it out and who does this and who does that, because by the way, that goes back to modalism, sorry, right? <laughs> that it, It's more about this fellowship mm-hmm. that's yeah. between them, right? Mm-hmm. Between the three persons in the Godhead, in the mm-hmm. Trinity, and how that fellowship gets extended to us, that we're now part of this community we're not god right that's that's not what i'm saying here but we're able to participate in that fellowship and that it, it, it's the source of joy that is supposed to come to us because of that that i mean even jesus is about to go to the cross but he's talking about how this is going to be here for us and that i i think it's interesting that he spends all this time on it just before his death and resurrection because you, you, it it feels like a reminder that he's you know He's bringing his time to earth to a close, and he's reminding the disciples that you're not, you, you don't just experience God through me, you experience God through the Father, through the Son, through the Holy Spirit, all of us together in a way that if he hadn't been making that clearer, again, you get wonky theological mm-hmm. problems, and so it's its almost preparing the disciples for, for what's going to come.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure um, when I read that passage if that's the intent of Paul Mm -hmm. uh, to lay out a doctrine of the Trinity in the passage itself. So I I understand, Ashley, the the question that you're asking. Um, Of course, on the other hand, we would say that if all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, that it's actually God himself who's communicating Mm -hmm. something uh, that he wants us to know about the Godhead. And so I think what we see here is that even in this closing blessing to the people of Corinth is this idea that the fellowship that we have with one another um, and the fellowship that we have with God is only possible because of the fellowship that we see in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, you see that. I always love, um, whenever we go to our different catechisms, how they even have uh, oftentimes in the little footnotes of why do we say these different things? Uh, and you see different scripture verses. We always say that our catechisms never take the place of scripture, but they help us to understand them. And so, even whether it's the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, whether it's the Belgian Confession or the Heidelberg, they all use mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 13 14 as an explanation uh, and a defense of the Trinity. Uh, because it's one of the handful of places in Scripture that you see all of them mentioned together. Uh, and so I think that's why you probably see this passage being used um, in the new city as a reason and an explanation for the Trinity itself.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what I walked away um, from my own study of this then, realizing that it's just that the Trinity isn't mentioned succinctly very often in scriptures and so this is probably your best option to be like look they're all here (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right pastor andrew what else do you have to
2: add yeah, well, what, what you just said reminds me of a, a lot of our family photographs. That, you know, my family, we spend a lot of time together, right? But sometimes it's, it's really hard to find <laughs> pictures where my wife and I are standing beside each other. Like because we're, we're not always caught on camera that close mm, to yes, each other, even yes. though we're with each other and working with each other a lot of the time. So, so in the Bible, it's rare that you find that snapshots where <laughs> they're all mentioned uh, right there, um, which, which does make this, in my opinion, a very, very fine verse Is this to use. Baptist-
1: at the Jordan is one of the few where you like point to <laughs> yeah, it. It is. Yeah. And, yeah.
2: and so I think it's, I think it's good for us to point to those because we have them. Uh, but I, I would, I agree with what Aaron is saying that I don't think Paul is trying to use this verse to teach the doctrine of the Trinity. Right. I think he is presupposing the mm-hmm. idea of the Trinity and referencing it in this blessing, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's consistent with what we see throughout a lot of the Bible. I mean, I think one of the reasons why many people struggle with this doctrine of the Trinity, and perhaps why many have even rejected it altogether, uh, is is they say, well, it's it's not taught in the Bible. You don't see Scripture laying it out, and you know you don't have many of those snapshots that capture them all together. Though we do have some, and and we also see that the, the Bible's human authors never really argue for the Trinity. They don't lay it out for us. They don't present us uh, with a theological treatise in scripture for why they believe the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as our listeners know, uh, the the Bible's human authors never even use the word Trinity. But, but if you look carefully, the concept of the Trinity is all over the Bible. It, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's most obvious, of course, in the New Testament, But you can still see hints of it throughout the Old Testament. And and so the New Testament writers don't set out to teach us that God is three in one. They they set out to tell us who Jesus is. And, And because of who Jesus is and because of how the New Testament writers understood that Jesus is who he is, the idea of the Trinity just spills out all over the New Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament it kind of leaked out here and there. In the New Testament it, it spills out, it overflows into every book and, and nearly every page it seems. And so the result of this is that as we read the scriptures, especially the New Testament, and put all of these ideas together, the the framework of our doctrine of the Trinity sort of takes shape all all on its own. And when you put everything together that the scriptures say about the Father, about Jesus Christ, and about the Holy Spirit, the inescapable conclusion in my opinion is is that they are three distinct distinct persons who are nevertheless the same being they're they're all God the same in essence and equal in power and glory as the Catechism teaches mm-hmm.
0: okay so the last question we always ask on um, these podcast episodes where we are going over catechism questions mm-hmm. is this one and I think this one is really difficult. <laughs> Um, And I know we've got some really big answers here. But what are some really practical ways we can apply this question and answer to our life? Pastor Aaron?
3: Thanks for taking the difficult one and having me start (laughs) there. No, I mean, I think that the Trinity informs the basis of so much of our life and actually our worship. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially the way in which we think of You know, the Father being called our Creator, Jesus Christ our Savior and Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit as being our sanctifier. Um, But to see everything that is seen and unseen, from creation to humankind to what we know of love and joy and peace, and all of these things are actually the result of this Godhead who is living and active, who loves us uh, who is sustaining us, I think when we understand that it actually is quite life changing I know for me it, it means that I don't have to do everything in my own strength that it's actually God who is fighting my battles for me mm-hmm. I, I think it it also impacts the way in which we worship um, yeah. I'm not sure if it's if it was the intent of you know, so much of the the liturgy of our worship, this oftentimes in in like Reformed worship, this idea of a threefold, like the approach, the word, and the response. And so it's this idea of this approach to God. uh, And as we approach God, we're aware of our sinfulness. uh, But then we hear the word of God. And out of the Word of God, we hear about the grace that we have in Jesus Christ, and then we respond to the hearing of God's Word. Well, then how do we respond? Well, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, um, as we go out into the world, um, it, it changes It changes our life. And so I think to even think about the way in which it affects our worship, um, but even more than that, how it can impact the way in which we live, I know uh, whenever I'm, I'm praying or, or worshiping on my own, how I will, you know, pray in the name of the triune God to know that I have an intercessor who knows what I need, who brings it before the Father. Um, and Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name will be given to you uh, by the Father. And then to be reminded, that it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me by the Holy Spirit. And for the glory of God. And so I think I, I see the, the Trinity impacting the way in which I, I live, the way in which I, I worship. And so I, I see that as being some of the practical ways in which my understanding of the Trinity impacts my life.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kathy? Yeah. So for me, it's another invitation to be humble. Um so I had said earlier, right, any God that I can figure out is not the right mm. God. It's the small g kind of God, not not the actual big G one that deserves our worship. Mm. And, I, I, you know, for me, one of the big temptations is that if I can just figure out the right, right way to read the Bible or find the person who's got it all figured out so I can do exactly what they do, you know, it's all going to magically make sense and I'm going to have the right directions and mm. everything's going to be great. Yep. And it's just not true <sighs> that if I'm going to place my trust in anything other than the big G God, even these well-intentioned people who are trying to figure out everything that God is, I, it's, it's not okay. Um, and I, I think that's part of why this is one of those things that the authors in the Bible were really obscure about. Um, it, I, I, they're not trying to mislead anybody. They're they're not trying to do any of those things. It's just, there are things that are too big for our brains. And we have to acknowledge that at some point and not try to figure all of it out. I actually, I've still been struck 20 years later after my History of Christianity class, this idea, again, of the doctrine of the Trinity coming out of consuls. And there's the council of Chalcedon. It's about the divinity of Jesus, but it comes to the Trinity as well. And they basically just say, Jesus is God. And Jesus is human. He's fully both of those things. And that's where the walls are. Um, It it is. We don't get it. (laughs) And for what were essentially the best minds of the church at that time, 1,600 years later, we have not done any better, and we're not going Mm -hmm. to do any better in any of those regards. And so, again, this idea of the, the, the Trinity as a doctrine existing is just the, come on. At, at some point you got to quit it. At some point you have to be throw out the arrogance and acknowledge that you're not going to get it all. Yeah. Pastor Andrew?
2: Yeah, thanks Kathy for saying that. I think you put that so well. Um, for for me the number one application of the doctrine of the Trinity is just simply to be amazed mm-hmm. at who God is and to marvel at this mystery in awe and wonder as you remind us, Kathy, we serve a God who is so far beyond our comprehension that that this central foundational truth about who he is, that even that is something that we can't begin to understand. And to me, that is beautiful because I don't want to worship a God that I can wrap my mind around. I want to worship someone who is so majestic and mysterious and mind-blowing that just trying to think about who he is reminds me that he is God and I am not. Mm. Uh, But in in addition to that, I I think the Trinity also shows us the importance of community, that Mm -hmm. God is one, but he is also a built-in community. It's part of who he is, and so that ought to be part of everything. Uh, So the communal aspects of our lives, marriage, family, church, friendships, all of these are part of how we bear the image of God uh, by participating in community ourselves. Um, I think a, a third application is, uh, is is not just community, but how we go about community. The Trinity shows us that the heart of community is self-giving and self-receiving love that expresses itself in loving submission to one another. We see this in the way the Trinity, uh, that, 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 that the persons of the Trinity interact with each other, that the Father, Son, and Spirit, they eternally exist in a relationship of perfect love and delight. With one another, and even though they're all equal in substance and power and glory, we see them subordinating themselves uh, in in how they interact with one another. That 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 Jesus submits to the Father. His great desire on earth was to glorify the Father, to, to do the work that the Father had sent him to do, not because the Father is greater or superior to, but he is submitting in love to the Father in the same way that. Uh, that we saw the Father send the Son, so the Son sends the Spirit. In in a sense, the Spirit doesn't have to go, but He wants to do what the Son sends Him to do. There's that loving submission, and the Father also submits to the Son because He he gives the Son uh, what the Son asks for, and He gives us what we ask for in the Son's name. And it's not like anyone's forcing Him to. It's done out out of love. And so this, uh, this eschatological vision that, that we're given in Scripture is one in which uh, the Son is crowned and enthroned and glorified. Not the Father, but seeing the Son glorified glorifies the Father. So as we try to look at how the persons of the Trinity relate to one another, uh, it, it gives us a lot to think about in terms of what our community life should look like with one another, how we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, how we submit to one another in love because that's what the Godhead has modeled for us.
0: I I love that that's one of your takeaways because as I'm sitting here and listening to you um, chat about this huge idea, I keep coming back to the word you all keep using. I don't even know if you've realized it. You keep saying the fellowship of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And as you keep saying that, that's what I keep thinking, that they're, that really the Trinity models what the church is to mm-hmm. be. And so I think that's a really beautiful image that you just gave us. Anyway, continue on. <laughs> I,
2: I mean, I really just have, uh, for me, one last application. And, and that is, as I see the Father and the Son and the Spirit delighting in in, in who uh, in who one another is or one another are. It's hard to know, you know, what, <laughs> what verb tense is to use for a being that's three in one. Um, th- that's an invitation for me to delight in uh in the personhood of each person of the Trinity as well. It's an invitation to know Him not only in His oneness but also in His threeness uh, because one of the blessings of the gospel is that now that I'm reconciled with God, I have a relationship with Him, but it's not just with a God who's monolithic uh, but a, a God who is a Father and a Son and a Spirit. And now I, I don't want to go too far and slip into tritheism and talk about having you know separate relationships with each one of them, but I think at the same time, there's a lot of unexplored territory in how a lot of us relate to God, that we relate with Him in a way as if He were only one. And and what would it look like if we sought to cultivate a, a deeper relationship with the Father as the Father, with the Son as the Son, with the Spirit as the Spirit? I think Scripture invites us to explore what it means to know and love and relate to God in distinct ways based on the distinctness of his three persons. Mm
0: -hmm. Panel, thank you so much for joining us today. And for those of you listening in, if you have any questions or comments, go ahead and just leave them in the comment section below.